Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Um, and we're going to carry on with our, our parable series. And this morning, Sherilyn is, is going to be speaking with us, which is a very, very wonderful opportunity that we all have. I have been so, so um, sort of encouraged by, by this series. Um, it is so, so neat to see. And I said, sense of God using using each of us or each person who's been involved um, to bring bring life out of each of these parables from their own perspective and their own experiences. So Father we thank you for Sherilyn. We thank you for um, for who she is. We thank you for the, the plans and the purposes that you have for her, the, the mission and the vision that you have given to her. God we thank you that as she shares with us this morning, God, this parable that Jesus, you, you spoke um, more than 2,000 years ago. God, we pray that the same message of the kingdom would, would come through to us today. That you are the same as today. So God, we thank you for your kingdom. Your heart is still that we know and understand what the kingdom of God is like. And that we participate in that kingdom in the world that we find ourselves in right now. Amen. Awesome. Man, I just feel like there is such an invitation here this morning. Um, it's pretty cool. Those of you that shared, hopefully as I share, you'll hear the same key words out of what you've just brought to, to each of us as, um, as I've been given this week as well. And I just love it when the Holy Spirit just does stuff like that. I, I really feel like this morning there's a real invitation for us to hear from him. I was laughing during the week though, uh, remembering that a few weeks ago, Matt Sanders, I don't think he's here this morning, but um, when he preached a few weeks ago, he was talking about looking at other people's parables and going, why on earth did you pick that one? And, um, and I was thinking he would most likely say that today because to be fair, um, this morning's parable is one of the weirder ones. Um, so now you're all wondering which parable I've chosen, right? Well, um, if you want to join me, turn to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to read from verse 1. Matthew chapter 25 verse 1. It's the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us, uh, both us and you. Instead, go to those who will sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy their oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, 
keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. <laughs> I actually chose this story because of a message that I heard two years ago on it by a guy called Mark Veragese. And I did briefly consider just playing his message for you all this morning. Um, but yeah, I've pulled some thoughts out of that. And I've also taken um, some thoughts from a couple of devotions by um, some of my workmates down at Springboard. But what I love most to do is to just share from my own journey and, um, and my musings, I guess, with God. So if I can sow some seeds of challenge and some seeds of encouragement this morning, uh, then I'll be happy with that. If you're hoping for a watertight theological explanation, I'll just warn you straight up, you'll be disappointed. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about that. And like, like a kid can watch a movie and enjoy it and understand the storyline without necessarily getting some of those elements of adult humour that might be in there as well. I don't think that Jesus has hidden all the good stuff. You know, like, I don't think he told stories in a way that only scholars can understand the message of what he was trying to say. So let's not overlook the stuff that's more obvious this morning. Okay, so there's 10 virgins. Kind of a weird, you know, word to be standing up here and, and, um, and just preaching in church. But in some translations, they call them bridesmaids. They most likely represent the church, us, waiting for the bridegroom, Jesus, to come. But on the surface level, 10 virgins, let's just assume they've all got the same Facebook status, right? They all have a lamp. So same resource. They're all waiting for the bridegroom. Same mission. And they all fell asleep. That's right. There weren't five who kept working in preparation, you know, while the lazy ones slept. Nope, they all fell asleep. So they all got the same human tendency. And yet the Bible describes, so there's same Facebook status, same resource, same mission, same human tendency, and yet the Bible describes five of them as wise and five as foolish. And the only thing that we're told that differentiated them was the oil. So let's start there, because I think it's safe to assume that the oil is kind of important, right? So what is the oil to the lamp, or in our terms, maybe the battery to the torch, or the electric circuit to the light bulb? And... Um, it doesn't take a genius to see that the oil is the source, right? It's where, it's what produces the light. It's the life of the lamp. Most would agree that in this parable, the oil represents the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The lamp is the external and the oil is that inner source. So the most obvious lesson is that the lamp's no good without the oil. At best, it might be ornamental, not all lamps are, but it might be. At worst, it's useless. And it follows on then that for us, unless we're prepared to settle for an ornamental kind of life, that we are also no good without the Holy Spirit. So first key point, if you want a light that shines, go after God. Simple, right? But I had this interesting reflection while I was preparing 
for at least 50% of every day, you wouldn't know the difference between a good lamp and a useless lamp. Because it's not until it gets dark that you know whether you've got enough oil. Did you get that? While the, light's, while the daylight's shining, you know, 50, at least 50% of the day, longer in summer, you're not going to tell the difference between a good lamp and a useless lamp until it gets dark. When Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 tells us to be filled with the Spirit, apparently in the Greek, um, that is a present imperative tense, which indicates a continuous replenishment. It's an ongoing state of being filled. So that go after God, that's got to be more than just enough of God, just enough for now, just enough for today, just enough to get me through this current crisis, and then I'm going to sit back and put my feet up for a bit. Just enough to get me through the daylight hours. Uh -uh. It's not until it gets dark that our levels of oil reveal themselves. And so this kind of go after God, it's like when you think you're satisfied, go back for seconds anyway. Have you ever done that at an all-you-can-eat? You know, like when you think you've had enough, just, just go for more anyway. That's the kind of go after God that we're talking about. And that's the heart of the song we just sang. I will seek you, then I'll seek you more. That is the cry of the wise. Because life is a lot like this parable. You know, the bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him. There were unexpected delays. And the foolish had taken just enough. Now, I've got to confess that when I am going somewhere, I am a just enough time kind of person. So I calculate the amount of time I'll need to get somewhere based on the best possible scenario. My, my brain thinks, okay, if I leave Snell's Beach at 2 p.m. and I get a clear run through Walkworth, the lights will be green, I should get to Mahu College just after 2.10, right? <laughs> You're all laughing because this is a familiar story and you guys know that along the way, I find myself behind a driver doing 45 k's an hour, breaking around every bend. I stop at roadworks for three full minutes, right? Yeah. And then just as I cruise past Wyatt Road, oh, I come to a grinding halt in that unpredictable line of nose-to-tail traffic, praying that the next car around the, around the corner behind me is doing 45 k's an hour so they've got time to break, right? And how many know that like that oil, just enough is often not enough at all? Because life's full of unexpected delays and wise people allow for that. They build reserves. And then when the darkness lingers longer, their lamps aren't proven useless. In all likelihood, there's many of you here this morning who are facing far more significant delays than a bit of annoying traffic. Maybe it's a health delay. Maybe it's a delay in a relationship. Maybe you had dreams of doing something or being something that just haven't eventuated. Maybe you think uh, the things that you thought God was going to do for you haven't come to pass. The doors you thought he'd promised to open haven't. 
Maybe you're waiting for a prodigal son to come home. And sometimes the darkness lingers long. Halfway through my, um, my grandfather's funeral, Riley, who was six at the time, leaned over and said to me, how many days is this going to take? But sometimes the wait feels like that, right? Now, in this story, the woman, they all just fell asleep. And we will, we will get to that later. But wouldn't it be nice if life was actually like that? If you could just sleep through the delays, the boring bits, the tough bits, the break your heart bits. If you could just sleep through all that and get woken up at the good part. You know, wouldn't that be nice? I reckon one of life's um, greatest lessons is learning to wait well. I actually think that this is essentially a parable about waiting and how to wait well. That word waiting, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that word this year. Uh, Backstory, I crawled across the finish line. Where's Jenny? I crawled across the finish line last year. Uh, we, when we made our collective advent wreath and Lyndon got us all to come up and choose a piece of foliage that represented us or our year, one of the pieces that I picked up was a dried up stick. <laughs> My prayer over the summer break was Psalm 126 verse 4, which, again, my apologies to Matt, it's lucky he's not here because it's in the Passion Translation. Um, It says, May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. That gives you some context of how my 2020 ended and how this year started for me. And partway through the first term, I remember reading Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. Now, it's a familiar verse. And I read it and I thought, God, I need that to be my reality. It's not how I'm feeling right now. And God was like, "Uh uh-huh, read it again. Ah, those who wait on the Lord. And around that time, a friend shared a song with me, um, Elevation Worship and Maverick City combined together and did a song called Wait On You. It's straight out of Isaiah 40. It is a stunning song. If you haven't heard it, go home and look it up. I really recommend having a listen. And then another friend shared a devotion at work one morning from that exact same verse. Don't you love it when God... (laughs) just keeps pointing you back to that thing that he's trying to get you to get, you know? Yeah, well, that's what Isaiah 40 verse 31 was for me um, this year. So in this devotion that um, my friend shared, she told us that the Hebrew word for wait not only means to take time or to linger in his presence, but it also means to bind yourself together with like tying a knot and becoming totally entwined. Wrapping tightly around each other. You know, like, um, yeah, like like the strands of a rope that are are twisted together. Anyone else get the feeling that this is not a sit back and put your feet up kind of waiting that we're talking about here? 
But it's from that place that Isaiah says we will rise up on wings like eagles. Now apparently an eagle knows when a storm is approaching long before it hits. And the eagle is one of the only birds who will fly facing into a storm. So what it does, because it knows when the storm is coming, it will fly to a high spot and it will wait for the winds to come. And then when the storm hits, it sets its wings so that the winds rise it up above the storm. So while the storm's raging down below, the eagle is, literally, soaring above it. It's also one of the few birds that doesn't flap. I remember that devotion well, because it was the same morning that two hours later we found out that our 16-year-old foster daughter had overdosed. And that picture, that picture of an eagle not flapping but facing into the storm and allowing the winds to lift it up, that picture held me that day. But the soaring and the rising on wings like eagles, that's conditional on the waiting, on the lingering, on the twisting together. So let's jump back to these sleeping virgins for a minute because it's really interesting to me that all ten of them fell asleep and yet five of them were still considered wise. So there's two forms of rest in the Bible. There's God-given rest that comes from a place of trust, like when Jesus fell asleep in the boat in the middle of the storm. Um, or like Psalm 127 verse 2 that says, it's useless to rise up early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? There's a rest that knows, right? But there's also rest that comes from laziness or apathy. It gets quite a few mentions in the book of Proverbs, uh, like if you love sleep, you will end up in poverty, And and this is a personal favourite. As a door turns on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. Don't you love the imagery of the Bible? But worse still is sleep that comes at the expense of prayer, like when Jesus said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, could you not watch with me for one hour? So here's the thing. These unexpected delays don't waste a delay. Like, that's when those women should have gone and got their oil, right? If there's a delay in your life right now, don't waste that delay. You can't do much about the delay, but you can do something about the oil. Because you only get to rest through the delay when you have reserves. Okay? We could think of it like this. The waiting in Isaiah 40, that's where the reserves come from. And the soaring above the storm, that's the ability to rest through the delay. Another aspect in this waiting process, and this thought comes from another friend's devotion, you know, so I'm just pulling things from all over the place here, but another aspect is to consider whether these five foolish women were waiting or stalling. Because again, genuine rest and apathy Waiting, stalling, good lamp, useless lamp. They can look a lot the same. I think that's worth kind of pausing on and reflecting on. What about us? Are we waiting or are we stalling? 
when we're stalling, there's there's no forward momentum. You know, there's I mean, when you're waiting and when you're stalling, you're often not moving forward anyway. But we're just passing time in a stall. There's no purpose. There's no sense of intention. There's definitely no going after the oil. But in waiting, there's there's this readiness for action. There's a preparedness, an expectancy, a watchfulness. That was another word God said to me right at the start of the year. Watch for me. Where you least expect I'll be. Keep watching for me. You know, when we're waiting, there's this watching and readiness for that, that expectancy. Because when that light turns green, you suddenly know who's waiting and who's stalling, right? And here's the thing. Our God is a suddenly God. Not an immediately God, but a suddenly God. Suddenly the cry rang out, the bridegroom's coming. Fun fact, suddenly appears in the Bible 87 times. And the book of Acts is a great place to start if you want a few instances of suddenly. Cool example in our world at the moment, take Springboard. Six weeks ago, there was nothing out of the ordinary on the radar. Six weeks ago, we were still doing a needs analysis to figure out how we could get the, be- the most out of 58 Hamatana Road. Suddenly, we're the new owners of Sheep World. And this week, for those of you who haven't heard the news, we sold our Snails Beach premises for fractionally more than what we paid for Sheep World. We got exactly double what the real estate agents told us that we, they thought the property was worth. The auction wasn't even supposed to be for another week. But God changed that light to green and suddenly. We need oil, not just for the unexpected delays, but also for the suddenlies, for the unseen opportunities. And there's this really interesting story in Mark chapter 9. You'll probably know it, where a father brings his demon-possessed sons to the disciples and they couldn't heal him. Thankfully, Jesus comes, saves the day, heals the boy. And when they're having their, you know, master-disciple debrief later on, Jesus explains to the disciples that this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. But we don't read that Jesus sent the father away for three days. Oh, sorry, mate. Uh, just need to do a quick fast and a bit of a pray for before I tackle this one. No. He'd already built capacity. He had reserves. He was ready when that light turned green. He was ready for the suddenly. So that's the why of the oil. We need to take care of our oil because life's full of unexpected delays. It's our reserves that help us to wait well and, and it's our waiting well that builds our reserves. And it's our reserves that make us prepared and equipped and ready for unseen opportunities, for the suddenlies. That's the why. Then verse 13 gives us the what or the how. It summarizes the main message of the parable for us. It reads, so stay alert, or in some translations, keep watch, be ready. We've already talked about the fact that all 10 of the women slept. 
But if you're anything like me, these summary instructions, stay alert, keep watch, they can still conjure up for many of us images of productivity. I don't know, but I reckon that Christians have typically elevated this, we've got this tendency to elevate productivity and put it right up there next to godliness. And there are many instructions in the Bible to use our time well. But can I just say, we can do better than busy. You know, in the story of Mary and Martha, which one was commended for her use of time? It wasn't Martha. Running around, getting all the jobs done, productive as. Busy. But when did busy ever become a good indicator of oil? In fact, isn't busy sometimes the very thing that depletes our oil? And yet, I'm talking about self-care. I'm talking about the fact that you can't pour out of an empty cup. And guess what? God already knew that. Which is why he set rhythms in place for us that included a Sabbath, a day of rest. That's where we actually get our word holiday from. In the Old English, it was literally holy day. And that gives us a pretty good clue that self-care and self-indulgence are not the same thing. So for those of you that attempted to switch off, hang in there with me right now. Because self-indulgence is the enemy's twisted version of the truth. Mary wasn't commended for sitting around doing nothing, for taking a break and having a cup of tea. Mary was commended because she was at the feet of Jesus. She was waiting on the Lord. She was doing the one thing. She was taking care of her oil. That's what self-care looks like. Because what about when your lamp's not all shiny and bright? What about when we find ourselves on empty? When we feel like that dried up stick? Does that mean we're counted among the foolish? Because that's where my head took me. Oh, you're nearly burnt out. Oh, that's where the losers end up. But that's not true. Not as long as I know where to come. Sometimes we sing that song, Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Bring all your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. It's not about having failures and addictions, it's about bringing them to the right place. It's not about being weary and thirsty, it's about drinking from the right well. It's about lingering in the right presence. Can I suggest that anything, everything, can be an offering as long as I bring it to the right place. Even my dryness. Even my emptiness. I can't give you a scripture for that thought, except that that's the example that I see in the Psalms, where David and the other writers, they bring their anger, they bring their frustration, their despair, but they bring it to the right place. It was the psalmist's words that I echoed this summer. 
May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. See, let's not be dry but not thirsty, empty but not hungry. Let's not sleep when we should be going after the oil. And then God's promise to us in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 3 is, a dimly burning wick he will not snuff out. I think a crucial part of being wise when we're dry and empty is knowing that there's only one source of oil. You know, when the foolish virgins ask the other five to share their oil, and in verse 9, they give what sounds like the most unchristian answer ever. No, go get your own oil. But that's because there's some things that you can't get from anyone else. You want oil for your lamp? You've got to go to God. Have you ever had the experience of trying to fill up what you really know only God can fill up? You know, you might do a little retail therapy, and that's totally legit sometimes, just saying. But I remember this one time going shopping, and God clearly saying to me, you're not going to find anything today, because what you need is me. You know? Or maybe I, I have that tendency to phone a friend instead of phoning the father. Or sometimes I simply just faff and find... All manner of things to do when few things are necessary. Really, only one. You can't have my oil. You can share my light, but the oil, that's yours to go after. I read this verse during the week. Good friends are like the anointing oil that yields the fragrant incense of God's presence. Beautiful, I'll read it again. It's Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. Good friends are like the anointing oil that yields the fragrant incense of God's presence. But I had this thought, you can only carry the fragrance of what you've soaked in. One interpretation of this parable that I read was that the foolish virgins didn't in fact run out of oil. They never had any. That the word for lamp in this story actually describes a tall stick um, with fabric wrapped all around the top of it. And at the appropriate time, it would have been um, dunked in the oil, you know, like soaked in the oil and then lit. So these lamps wouldn't have been left burning the whole time that the woman slept. But no, they were there in readiness to soak in the oil and light to welcome the bridegroom. So... In that scenario, if you didn't have any oil, at best, you could maybe be in the right place to spectate, right? But I want to do more than spectate. Can I say this morning that you are seriously missing out if you don't know him for yourself? If you haven't soaked in the oil so that your lamp can burn with light and life. And this morning, I think that there are there are three invitations. Really, it's the same invitation to come. If you're someone who's never experienced what it is to have the oil of the Holy Spirit in your life, don't miss out on the party. Come to the source. Let God set your lamp on fire. That's number one. 
And then number two, if you're that dimly burning wick this morning, your reserves are running pretty low. Come. Come to the cross. Come to the table because where else would you go? Wait on him this morning. And if you're sitting there this morning thinking, I'm pretty good right now, thanks. Come anyway. Because there's more. And not just for you, but for others. There are people looking to your light to guide them home. There are people looking to your light to give them hope in their darkness. Don't settle for just enough for you. When was the last time that you just came anyway? That you just desired God? That you just said, I will seek you and I'll seek you more? Because actually the worship team is going to come and and join me and we're going to sing that song again. I will seek you and I'll seek you more, crying, oh my Lord, I have to find you. Only sing it if you mean it. Yeah, come on up, guys. But you know, in a minute we're going to stand and we're going to sing and I invite you to physically come. Maybe some of you want to come and and have prayer, but maybe you just want to come and just sing those words. If you're coming for your first taste of him this morning, you won't be disappointed. Don't wait any longer. For those that are crying, I'm dry, I'm thirsty, I have to find you, come to the right place. And for those in a good place, seek him more. Just go after God. No matter our starting point this morning, we can all have as much of God as we want. That's a cool thought, eh? We can all have as much of God as we want. So let's finish with this song together. Come, come, come. There is more of God. Mm-hmm.